guys, yes. I'm really glad we pressed record because Susie and I have just been chit-chatting over here <laughs> for like a, a, an hour. We're going to run real. out of material. We're never going to run out of material. Who am I kidding? <laughs> for like an hour, we've just been chatting. I mean, I have a lot some of this. on my mind. This is episode 507. As a matter of fact, I was listening to another podcast, which shall remain nameless. Even though I enjoyed mm-hmm. it, I was like annoyed at how... They were so entertained by each other, and they kept laughing too hard at everything. And I was like, this is so annoying that I realized that's what we do. That's exactly. Like, why do people enjoy this? We're adorable and charming and hilarious. What are you saying? I know. I mean, I'm so grateful. We, you know, we do what we can over here. I guess people feel like they're just in on the conversation. It's so nice. They are. And, you know, they like those moments where I can't can't remember what something's called and then they are yelling it at their radio and they like, like stay tuned for you. what you'll know and Sarah won't in this <laughs> they, episode of the Brain Candy Podcast. Right. They feel better about their themselves because they know the answers that we don't yes. know. Yes. Oh, Sarah Louise. How are you, Suze? Uh, well, as you know, I've had a rough week. Um, you have. Went to the hospital, had a problem with my nether region. Yeah. But um, hopefully things will start improving here. I don't know. It's been a rough year for everyone. It's been rough. You know what I feel like is happening is like, uh, it's like... Heads are falling off. Heads are right. (laughs) It's like things, there's just enough of an uptick Mm -hmm. for like you Mm kind of let your guard down a bit. It's like when you get back from a challenge and you get sick. Yeah. Absolutely. You've been, oh my God, yes. this is exactly, exactly it. We're probably going to see a lot of this from a lot. There's, gonna, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yep. We always talk about how when we go on the challenge, everything's oh great, God, hunky-dory, so and then the moment we get home, we get sick because you're not Real in sick. survival mode anymore. Mm-hmm. You're like safe and happy and comfortable. And your body needs to actually shut itself down to rebuild and like yeah. work. It needs to like take you out. Like, <laughs> so my butthole is on a vacation right now with some Vicodin. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Any hoodles. Wow. Um, did you read about the car with the bees in it? <gasps> no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would be on top of this. This is your kind of story. What do you mean? This poor- I see a very, a, 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 what I would call an AWH or an accident waiting to happen. <laughs> I refer to mo- all things. I go, oh, that's an AWH. No, no, I no. Knew, do know this is an acronym that nobody else knows about. AWH. <laughs> Wait, I got to write that down. I um, like to say this. I'll be like out and I'll like see something. Where I'm like, oh. AWH. I like say it out loud to myself. No, I'm around people who are like, what? Oh my That's my new favorite thing. Either that or the Viking kicked in. Um, I love either. Susie's going to be my best audience because she's all hot to fun. Drunk. Sarah's extra funny when her audience is all Viking. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't begin with the bees in the car. Um, this poor fool parked his car in New Mexico at an Albertsons and went inside for ten minutes. Oh. <gasps> And when he came out, there were 15,000 bees in his car. Oh, they do this. Yes. They, they, this is what, this is what, oh, 
oh my god, we we learned about this. Yeah. When, and we learned about there's the guys in New York City who's yes. their poli- B police officers. Yes, the B police officers, right. <laughs> the B cops. The B- Not B <laughs> cops, B yeah. cops. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that tickles my funny bone. Am I on my <laughs> I'm not. I'm not on anything. Oh, God. It's so funny. Right. So he comes out. And at first, you know, he just gets in his car and goes driving (gasps) and doesn't realize. Yeah. And he's driving down the highway and figured out we got a problem. AWH. He called called 911. And they sent this guy who's an off-duty firefighter, but he's a beekeeper oh, hobbyist. I love that. And he, he came with his box. Yes. And he said that, you know, the reason this happens is that the queen has gone to look for a new yes. ho- hive or whatever. And so all her boyfriends <laughs> follow her. <laughs> and he said that- Like they do. I Mom, guess. chick brings all the bows. <laughs> yeah. He, the box that he brings, he sprays with a thing that smells like the queen. Uh, yeah. So all these bees think it's the queen and they get in there. And he said like the first 14,000 is no problem, but it's uh. that last thousand <laughs> <laughs> that takes some extra like, Wait time. Wait a sec. Yeah. yeah. And he, he said he spent extra time making sure because he didn't want one of those poor bees to be left behind. Oh, nice. And I know that the beekeepers, they care. He really does care oh, about yeah. every one of those bees. He said they he'll are do interesting. anything. I really lo- love like that beekeeper personality. I know. It's a really beautiful thing because we do need bees, but they are scary. And they're just slow people, I think. But like not like like method like mm-hmm. like the tortoise, like in the best way. Yeah. yeah. Like, no need to rush. Yeah, they're thoughtful. Just they're thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And not like, you know, it's basically the opposite of me. He said he'd just gotten home and he was eating dinner with his family, his two kids, but he said, I just had to do it because I didn't want anything to happen to those bees. To those bees. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because all of us are like, protect that man. And my sure. mind went to, you don't want that guy to get stung. <laughs> For sure. What and would you going, do, though, no, no. if you were driving down the road? Susie. What would you do? I, there's a short of list of like, what wouldn't I do? <laughs> like flail my arms, freak out? Like uh, You would just uh, yell yeah. A-W-H. oh my gosh no there would be i you know what i think actually i I say that but i've i know myself when those moments have happened of like total panic like Mm -hmm. it was either you or ren somewhere in the last well what's probably now the last two years where there was like a, a spider or a bee or something like that on the person I and feel I like, like I was there for this. Yeah. And I was like, hang on one sec. And <laughs> yeah. you were like that. Somebody said like, that was the calmest. I can't, I'm so glad you reacted like that. Cause if you would have reacted, I would have freaked out. Well, cause remember I, how you told Ren that bees don't really hurt. And I was like, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're fine. They don't stay. They're fine. I still am, am not, I still would like a poll. Do, have we done a poll about this? No, I think you're right. I think we do yeah, need that. I'm still going to... I'm going to write that in my notes. Yeah, is it like no big whoop? That. Is it no biggie or is it like... Pretty painful. You know, pretty painful because like... 
And I really am not the person to ask because, as you know, I have the allergy. So maybe the pain is worse for me. I don't know. That's what I think. I think it's got to be like your, your, and is it like a, a scale of pain and I don't know. I do think it's like my relationship with that, the pain and that. Because everything's, and I'm learning, the older I get, it's like all relative or in your head or like your past experience with however scary you think it's going to be. So how scary it is or painful it is. I don't know why, but I feel like if bees didn't buzz, that it wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> uh, agreed. Well, that I mean, also flies wouldn't be so annoying if they weren't making That's that right. noise too. Oh, I hate that noise. I'll tell you what's Ugh. not annoying, and that is getting my HelloFresh delivery. Not annoying at all. <laughs> or painful. No. HelloFresh is the opposite. It is soothing and stress-free because yes. they are a meal planning magician who sends you beautiful foods and recipes each week that you can make for your family. And it's so much easier than having to go to the grocery store and meal plan and all that stuff. They do all the work for you. And I love that they're sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door. Contact free, of course. And I mean... It's such a good value because you get exactly what you need for your family and it's so much cheaper than shopping at the grocery store too. So I just love it. Love it, love it, love it. And it's yummy. So good. I swear it is so so good. Just like, I don't want to think about that. Okay. So there's a deal for you. Go to HelloFresh.com slash BrainCandy12 and use BrainCandy12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Go to HelloFresh.com slash BrainCandy12 and use code BrainCandy12 for 12 free meals, including mm. free shipping. Yummy, yummy recipes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, the bees... Now I'm hungry. The, <laughs> the bees are, were rescued all as well. The, <sighs> I did think the guy was funny, though, because he was, like, real worried because it wasn't even his car. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he had borrowed you, it. But, like... Can you imagine that conversation before too? Like I always like to think like it th- that whole scene is like something out of a movie. He's like <laughs> right. telling his friend like, "Can I just borrow your car? I'm just going to run to the grocery store real ten quick. I'll be 10 minutes tops. It'll be no big deal." Oh my god. Okay, but like don't let anything happen to me. What can go wrong? I'm going right. to be gone for 10 minutes. And then he'll come back and it'll be like good news, bad news. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about honey? <laughs> <laughs> Went to the grocery store, got some honey. Got some honey. <laughs> no, not in the, the grocery store. The way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, but so hashtag save the bees. We do love our bees. We love um, them. We love them so much. There are bees on my shoes right now, actually. I watched. Oh, okay. Not real bees. A drawing of a bee. Like a oh, that's bee. good. Yeah, yeah, not real. You were like, Thank okay. Heavens. Yeah. So I was just talking to Susie about a spider on my ceiling. So. Be like this house is infested. Yeah, it's, it's like a real wild wildlife situation over there in the well, suburbs. That it is. I do live. There are coyote warning signs. Like, you know. Yeah, keep... we just heard some coyotes here last night. Oh, I love, that was I love scary. That I don't know though. I feel like they yeah, would eat me. There's a law. I didn't even know this, and thank goodness they passed it. Um, there's like an ordinance or something, not but whatever it's called in this in this area in this. Um, uh, I don't know if it's all of Thousand Oaks or just this neighborhood here that you can't have outdoor cats. Good. Good is right because yeah. six of mine died. <laughs> six? Jesus Christ. Five or six. Maybe not six. Maybe maybe four or five. Sarah. 
Sarah, Jesus. Oh, uh, maybe three. We have to ask my mom. My childhood memory says six, but really it was not that. It was like probably like four, but that's still a lot. <laughs> they just never came back, and we know it was coyotes because that's yeah. what happens when you live in Wildwood. They are you're yeah. going to have your cat eaten by a coyote because they like those. That's good. It is even without coyotes. It's too dangerous out there for our little kitties. <laughs> Keep them inside. My God, yeah. they love laying around. They love <laughs> okay. They do. I watched um, the the last blockbuster. Did you watch it? Oh no, not yet. It's real cute. Oh, good. You know what's funny is the reason why I didn't talk, didn't watch it, is because I thought we had already talked about it on our show. But why? I think we had. I don't know. I I was like, oh, maybe I already know this story, which is a weird thing. <laughs> I, I have no oh, idea. You know what? We did talk about like how they were rent. You know, you could come yes. for an experience, like a '90s yeah. experience, and watch a movie overnight. I remember yeah. that. Yes. Um. Well, the documentary, which is on Netflix, the irony, of course, is interesting. Oh my god, that is really funny. Right. Netflix is telling the story about how they ruined Blockbuster. Um. And what I loved about it was that this is in Oregon and the woman that runs the store is like just this hero of she just loves her job and she's just really committed to it and creating this community, which I think is why it's the last one left because they still make a profit, you know? People are are pilgrimage, going on pilgrimage to... uh, uh yeah, now uh, they are. Yes. But I think even before that, that she, they weren't just coming in for videos. They were coming in for the, oh, the connection. I see. Yeah. That even while, that she did something to create. Okay, so she owned the blockbuster while it was still like a blockbuster. And not still like is. an ironic blockbuster. Yeah, it still is a franchise. It's no different. And it's the last one. And they just renewed her for two more years. But like, oh my God, <laughs> it's just her. Yeah. Why can't they say that she owns? I mean, they should just like let her own Blockbuster for <laughs> Christ's so sake. true. Like, just give it to her. What are you still taking money from this woman for? I know because she is so nice and <sighs> she like has to go to um, Target on like Tuesdays whenever the new releases come out and buy copies to oh. put in her Blockbuster. <laughs> My God. It's adorable. And she like buys candy from Costco and stuff. And <sighs> it's just real special. Well, I want to see this. I, I'm not kidding you. I shed a tear. I, I will. I know. I'm, I'm getting like, because I just love anytime somebody puts thought and care into like. Well, and you can tell like she's <sighs> kind of like super into the fact that she's this icon now. <laughs> Oh, well, that's kind of fun, like, too. Yeah, it's real cute. Like, she feels important. Oh, yeah, a scene. Yes. And I like that. It would that. be really nice if the thing that you valued and put a lot of energy into yeah. finally got attention and recognized and people were like, we we appreciate this so much. We're going to make a documentary about it. Yeah. I would feel like that, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so cute, Sarah. And it's also like the nostalgia of it and like sort of the story of how these video stores came to be and then why they collapsed and all that. It's great. I now go to a Trader Joe's in my neighborhood that is next door to what used to be the Blockbuster. And every time I go to that parking lot, 
I am mm. transported. Oh my god! To that, to the night, so where I remember, like I remember my mom dra- like pulling up and running up to the door and putting the video in. I remember like, and it's it's it's. I don't. I'm. Sh- I mean, of course, it was something you know before, but I think with COVID and everything, it, whatever business was there previously is now gone uh, out of business as well. So mm. it's just empty. Which in my mind. It was em- it. I've mm. turned it into like it's been empty since Blockbuster. Yeah, kind of like right. it's just like frozen Ghost time town. for me like yeah. that. Yes, and it is so interesting. So yes, that nostalgia is like re- I can only imagine. I can't wait to watch well, it. It's interesting when people explore the the sensory I- idea, like how it smelled and the sound that the VHS case would yes. make when you open it. And yes. All these things. Oh my god. Like you say, they transport you back to that time. Yeah. Now, we were too poor to actually go to Blockbuster, so I was only going with, like, friends when I would stay overnight at their house. But I thought it was, like, super fancy to be a member at Blockbuster. Because you know those late fees, they're I was just going to say, they really, they, I was going to say, was it the late fees? Yeah. Yeah. It was. They sneak up And Lord help you if you lose one of the, I think I, I just at the last garage sale I had, got rid of a Blockbuster video. I had 12 Monkeys, that DVD. Oh my God. In a Blockbuster case. Never returned it? Ever. I still have a five, I probably still have a Oh my God, what is with you? You're probably the reason they went bankrupt. That's <laughs> <laughs> me. Who didn't return twelve monkeys? Who were really like, dying. What year? What year would movie. you say? Oh gosh, this. Well, it was on DVD. Okay. And it had to have been in. Uh, I know where I was living, so I was living in Orange County, and it was when I had my own apartment, and I had this apartment. I got it when I was seventeen. My aunt, I got it. Somebody signed for it because. Well, when you're young and you're a boss bitch already, you get your own place. Um, I had a roommate, so I'm not really mad, but you know. Uh, uh, so when was that? I was 17 or 18 and 20, 2000. So it was got to be somewhere around 1999 to 2000. Wow, no, Twin Towers still intact. 2004. Oh, okay. No, 2004. <laughs> okay. There you go. 2004. Wow. Around then. Did you like the movie? I love the movie. Clearly, I kept it. You're like, I still have it. Still have it. <laughs> yeah. That's well, bad math. The, okay, but head. at the How time, the were you just like, I'm keeping this or what? No, oh, guaranteed it didn't go like that. It was. <laughs> what did I want to know? Oh, no. It was. Oh, God. I re- Sarah. Er, Sarah. Look, I, I'm. Oh, my God. It's like I'm talking to myself over here. <laughs> Susie. Oh, my God. I can't believe I just called you. I was like in my head talking to. I was like, I have ADD. I was guaranteed. I'm like talking to myself in my own head here. Like, you got to return this. You got to right. return this. Right. Here, you should definitely put it out to return. Put it right next to the door to return. Put it in the car to return. Did not return it. Then I moved. Right. And then I was like, well, not returning this shit now. Oh my God. Don't have to ever go back to that blockbuster. Guaranteed that See, is what happened. That would keep me up at night. That's why I have Whoops. anal problems. <laughs> there, that, there you go. And I just let it go. So good for you. One That's thing I'm I will so never let go of is my love of function of beauty. Never. You know what I dreamt last night? What? I dreamt that my mom got 
her her function of beauty because she's been commenting on my hair all the time you know and like (laughs) she's like i love it it just looks so good and i love your natural curls and they're just so like freaking popping right now because of this i I mean they are so good and it that's all i'm doing is is watching this and um i dreamt that my mom got it and then i woke up and i got so excited that i picked up my phone to go talk to her about it and realized (laughs) it was a dream and that she lives in costa rica and probably didn't get that it doesn't have that (laughs) well we should should get it instead you should get it instead because you just go on to function of beauty and you take their quiz and you tell them about your hair type and your hair goals like length or volume or oil control, and then they'll send you a customized product for your hair. You can choose your color and fragrance, or you can have no fragrance and no dye, whatever you want. It's vegan and cruelty-free, which I love, and no sulfates or parabens. I mean, come on. What is? And you can get it so it is curly girl friendly. Curly girl friendly. No silicones. Yeah. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. It's great. Never buy off the shelf just to be disappointed ever again. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash braincandy to take your quiz and save 20% on your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash braincandy. Let them know we sent you and get 20% off your order. Functionofbeauty.com slash braincandy. Yes, yes, yes. My body wash is on its way, and thank goodness it is my favorite and exciting. I left it at my old place. Oh, so, that was oh, a big mistake. I hate that. Big yeah. mistake. So I had, I had been, but it's arriving soon. So Next thing I watched was the Tina Turner documentary. Oh, I want to see that real bad. I recommend it. It was great. Yes, um, I've heard really good things about it. As you know, I love a rockumentary. And rockumentary. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, I have never heard that word except last time I said it and you loved it then. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> when I talked about the Bee Gees, you were like, I love that. <laughs> well, I thought I'm nothing if not consistent, yeah, and I love it too. It That's was so good really, memory, really but... good. Um, it, it was so interesting. Of course, we all know about like the Tina and Ike domestic violence yeah. relationship, and I mean, it's become part of her story and like her identity really and the documentary did a really good job of telling that story but then telling how it's unfair that that was then her story right and how no matter she's like okay i'll write a book and then i'll tell the story and then it'll be done but then it was never done. And then the movie came out. And then, mm. you know, Angela Bassett did such a great job. And I think she even won the Oscar for that. And mm. and it's like she cannot escape the Ike oh, abuse. That's, that's really sad. Yeah. And you know what? It also became really like, for lack of a better term, like cemented or, or like... It, in like pop culture history and songs were used like it's in it's a the joke reference. sometimes yeah and like they reference that it, i know so many lyrics to songs where they talk about like you know an ike and tina turner yeah. love kind of like yeah. and like to have that yeah they became like ugh. emblematic yeah yeah mm-hmm. of like toxic abusive relationships and the the only thing I didn't love about the documentary was just that I still don't feel like I know her at all. Um, but oh. I think that's kind of the point is that 
she never really, she just wanted to entertain people and never wanted to be like a persona or like a human. She wanted to be like an icon and a yeah. performer, but she didn't really want people to know her business. Yeah. Well, um, but she's like 80 years old. Yeah. And so beautiful and just stunning. And I mean the legs. The legs. I, 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 I guarantee body. you at 81 there, like. When she did her, her reunion or not reunion tour, her like farewell tour, I remember saying, being like, "Oh my god!" Just the energy. It, yes, I'm like, dang, I don't have that energy she now. She just has something so special yes. and like electric on stage. Yeah. It's so fun to watch. So that was really cool oh. to see all that footage. And- so many good songs. Mm-hmm. I'm a private dancer. Dancer for my, oh my God. I, I love mean, it. I wonder if that was in there. I don't remember that song yeah. being in there. Oh but my yeah, gosh. So great. many good songs. So I recommend that. Um, <sighs> any Sound of Metal yet? No, but I told Adam we need to watch it. Yeah, Adam's going to love it too. And he's a freaking sound guy. He's a freaking sound guy. I said, I think this is a movie where our interests will overlap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my for God. I'm sure. so excited. for go. I can't wait for you to watch it. And then I want to hear what you say about it. I love it. Yeah, I think I'll really like it. Oh, and I'll watch the, the blockbuster one and cry a little bit. I did also. My last viewing uh, documentary was the Clive Davis one on Netflix. Huh, I don't know. He's like one. the music executive. He like discovered Whitney oh, Houston. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, pretty much yes, everybody. Yes, 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 yes. That was fun to watch too because then that's just like all different kinds of music and I never knew his story and how he's a he's bisexual. He identifies as bisexual oh. now and he's like an older guy, which I thought was unusual, but that was another one I would recommend to people if you're in the market for a little viewing pleasure. Yes, okay. And, I mean, that's got to be, you love the music history, so. Yeah, and just the business of music is so weird and has changed so much over time. Kind of bums me out now. Because, funnily enough, combining two of those documentaries, I used to work at Blockbuster Music, which was, um, it wasn't rentals, but they had a listening center. And you could ask for us to open any CD in the whole store and you could listen to it before you bought it. And so that was super fun. And we had the same yes. shelves as the regular Blockbuster where, like, you know, um, staff picks. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and, like, I put so much thought into my staff Oh, pick. my God. Suze, mm-hmm. what was on? What I need I to mean, know we this. Ch- well, we changed them all the time. It was like whatevs. But like- I would love to know. I would love a playlist of Susie <laughs> staff picks right. from that era and what you were listening to. Please, please give us some of the bangers on your list. Well, I mean, but then, like, you put all this thought into it. Like, I went through a big Billy Joel phase at that time. That was when I first really fell in love with him and, like, Harry Connick Jr. and stuff. But then you put all this thought in and you put the CD up and it would be like, Susie, pick. And then some other staff member would, like, swap it out for, like, homoerotica or, like, silly stuff. And (laughs) I would always get genuinely mad about it. That's really funny. But, like... That to me is what I miss about retail in general is like when you can go to a record store or you could go to a video store or whatever and ask people who really love music or movies or whatever and say like, what do you recommend? And they could like help you find treasures because that really is hard to do now. and community. It's the same thing about that blockbuster, why that was good. 
Yeah. And now it's, it, Susie, it's not just hard. It's damn near impossible. Because if you even just try to Google what's the best, I don't know, mascara, you're, you're yeah. going to get, because I mean, I say that because I worked at a beauty supply store and I would like, yeah. be a, I would like, I loved to like spend the time to really make sure that that customer was going home with something that was perfect for them and blah, blah, blah. And now if I just like Google, like what's the best this it's get, you're getting like an ad for, I'm mm. getting like glamor magazines, like what they've paid to tell me is the bet. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want the person who knows the info and like the one-on-one, what we're really missing is the connection and community. If you yeah, go yeah. to a store, do you think it would still be like that? Like if you go to a makeup store? No, I don't think it is because it depends on what, what the store is because yeah. it used to be like that at Nordstrom and I used to work at Nordstrom too. And then I, 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 I watched it as a customer change and then I went a bit ago, it was, oh, it was before an event that you and I did and I got my makeup done and mm-hmm. I cried. Remember no. Oh, I, I remember with? that. Yeah. Remember? And then you're, I was so mad. And it was yeah. so awful. And then she was telling me the whole time about how Nordstrom is terrible and um, how now they're like, they have to like hit, they care more about the sales goals. Sure. Like they're, and like that, of course, I mean, it's a retail business and retail is failing and, you know, and uh, so they just felt all this pressure and it, it, the, the need to have the sales and like close the sale became and like get the numbers became more important than the customer service. And that was their whole thing to begin with. Yeah. So I was like, bye, that's no fun. But you know, and I, you just got to find the gems that are, are like that. You know, like I found like a local, like neighborhood Italian restaurant last night where they like oh, topped fun. off my glass with the rest of what was in the bottle. Just was like, see, that's go. what I'm talking about. I'm like, yes. And then I went to another place that's like a chain the, uh, a couple days before, and they put it on a scale and measured it at nope. when they poured it. And I was nope. like, nope, not coming back here. I hate when they do that. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then he took it away when there was still nope. A little, I mean, it was like a baby splash, but don't you dare measure it Honestly, out and then don't give me every single That would bring out the Karen in me. I would be like, can I speak to your manager? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and then you don't want to be the one who's like, there's still some in there when it's literally like the warm, like, and it's like a hot day and been sitting out in mm-hmm. white wine. It's like, but to me, it does, it's the, it's the principle of it, you know? I, I am fully in support of your rage. Yeah, there you go. And there you go about the best item you can buy these days, which is a perfect comfy bra from Third Love. Yes. I mean, you don't want to be uncomfortable. And what Your you, breasts oh, deserve did, the best. Did I already tell you about their, matchy, their sets that make it super easy and you're just like... Yes. I love it. People, you need to buy it. it. They are so cute. Yes. They have gazillion more than 80 sizes and a perfect fit promise so if you don't love it you can exchange or return for free for 60 days um and they use the measurements of millions of women to design the bras for all day comfort and support and i can attest that they have succeeded memory Mm -hmm. foam cups no slip straps um i always say i love their undies as well it's comfortable they're high quality they don't fall apart and so it's a real investment but with a very affordable price tag. Third Love knows 
Your one true fit is out there. So right now, they're offering our listeners 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash brain now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash brain for 20% off today. Yes. Um, so I, I know you gave me a list of, of movies, but this I, I saved this. I was just going to send this message to you um, in, uh, you know, text message. But I'll, I might as well tell you on here because I saved it. Um, it, I saw a Bob Saget posted on his Instagram a clip from um, a show that's on PBS, and it's called uh, it's a PBS American Masters, and it's a it's called Never Too Late, and it's about Trump trumpeter uh, Doc Severson. Severson, yeah. Susie, it looks like you would love this. I would. I love Doc uh, Severinsen. It, look, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. I like, I'm like, who is this guy? But I know Susie <laughs> will the, love this. Yeah, he's the band yes. leader for Johnny Carson. Yes. On The Tonight Show, he played trumpet. And he also plays the theme song for Designing Women, Georgia oh, On uh, My Mind. Oh. oh, my God. I didn't even know that connection. <laughs> Do you yes. see how... And if anybody doesn't know, Susie is obsessed with designing women and yes. like throws quotes in like I'm going to know what they are I and know. I've never I watched the show. I always regret it. So I love that somehow I knew like it was like speaking to me. I yes. like screenshotted the, the thing. Thank this you. This was like, like, yeah, I'm yeah. definitely going to watch that. And I'm like, I know, I know I need, I know Susie needs to watch this. So there you go. I love it. I remember I met him. And he, you guys too. Listen. I so, was in the symphony you met him? from my high school and he came to speak to us and we got a Q&A at the end, and this was right after The Tonight Show with Johnny had ended and Jay had kind of, you know, started yeah. succeeding um, and not David Letterman. It was this big scandal. And um, so I asked him if he preferred Jay Leno or David Letterman. And what did he say? I think he said David Letterman because it was a big oh. deal. And everybody preferred David Letterman, but Jay got the, the gig, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's okay. so fun. That I'm is watch so that. crazy that... I- I mean, you knew. how many people, like people like That's that, so have true. you actually met like that? <laughs> right, and, that, or even would know who he is. And I didn't even know who the hell he was. I, I didn't even know that. Come and on. I was just like, I think she would like this and I need to screenshot it because I saw it on Bob Saget's Instagram story. Wow. What? That's... Was Bob saying it was good? Um... I was deciding. Well, what I saw is on the other this other uh, website I follow that uh, thirty is thirty AF thirty as fuck or whatever. Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. They posted this funny picture of it, Bob Saget reacting to a picture of his daughter, and he goes, "If anybody like, yes, I know she looks exactly like me in a wig. Can, like, <laughs> if one more motherfucker sends me a message about this, I'm gonna lose it." Like. <laughs> And I thought that was hilarious. So then yeah. I had to go click on his his picture to go see if his dot and his what well, his his was like okay and nothing that I wanted to. I don't think I followed him. End up following him, but I did end up looking at his story. So think about okay. how many things I had to see go wow. through to get that. And now Thank I know you. you're going to watch it and love it. <sighs> Thank you for doing that for me. The universe just presented it. I just had to like take a picture. I'm yeah. so lucky. Yeah. Oh wow! Dang. We went on a journey. Okay. We sure did. Moving on. So fun. We went on a journey. <laughs> I, <laughs> I read about this and I thought it was real cute. So I'm going to share it with you. This is, yes. I have two animal stories. The first one is oh. that I think it was a farm, like a goat farm, that was for some reason was struggling during COVID. I don't really know why COVID would affect a goat farm, but for whatever reason, 
they were strapped for cash. And so they put on their website that like if you were doing a Zoom call, that <laughs> they would put their goats on the Zoom call for like 20 bucks. <laughs> and like you could just talk to the the goats and they would just hang out with you and your friends and they're making like thousands of dollars oh my god i love this overnight it was just gangbusters everyone was like wanting the goats this and is i hilarious. feel like why haven't we done this we should definitely offer there's a weird noise happening in my neighborhood right now i thought I it was your dog or animal it might be an animal it might have been a bird so maybe it's a peacock again, do you get peacocks it, there? We do, we don't get peacocks. Mm. Not that I no. It's more. It's it, they wouldn't Turkey? stand a fucking chance against those. <laughs> My God, you have to go look. What, what the fuck is, is that? that? It sounds like an animal. It's definitely alive. Is this the zombie apocalypse? Is this go time? <laughs> is this go time? Where's my bag? <laughs> Good, my right by bag? the door. Oh, that's funny. No, who knows what that is? It's literally right by the door. Well, no, it's in the trunk of my car. Okay, okay. okay. Oh, speaking of which, ask me what's in the trunk of my car. Okay, let's hear it. Only the box that, like, the the, I have like a a crate, like a milk crate that's like Mm -hmm. designed to go in the back of a trunk. Yeah. With my jumper cables, my emergency (gasps) kit. And a roll of tape in case I need that for shipping anything and, you know, forgot. Oh, this is exciting. Suze, I almost did a video of me putting the seat up because it <laughs> seems like nothing. That <laughs> will be the, the first up. time. That is That was today, this morning, was the first time in since November of 2019. Whoa. That I have put the seats, all of my seats up in the car with that, and my car has been empty, and I will be able to go get it cleaned. Oh my God. This is because oh, you have your shit together. My God. This I'm is... so excited. Wow. I swear I'm so happy this for was you. like the thing that I said, I feel out of sorts. And I, I mean, I was like, a, my car was always clean, like, like, uh, like not dirty. Like I would get a car wash regularly. I love having a clean car. Yes, like you do. It's my. I love that. I was. I felt so out of it. It was like the thing that needed to get done. Like that one closet that you need to organize, and then once you do, you're like, oh yeah, my you whole life is organized easy. now. Yeah. yeah, this is this was it. I was like, oh. So that was a little side. I'm I am just so like happy for story, you. Personal accomplishment and no, goal. So you know, we're all happy for you because <sighs> you have been through hell. Trunk is happy. Thank you. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Um, yeah, so. Okay, hold on. Second... Uh, Has it though. This shit's crazy. Second animal story is that they did this study about pigs. You know how pigs are supposed to be so smart. And they taught them how to play some video game. And Uh it said the findings were that pigs can play the video game and, and that eventually they'll do it without even getting a reward. They just like it. Well, I think they are getting a reward. Probably the same thing we get when we play (gasps) video games. They're dopaminergic, dopaminergic, some word like that. I thought you were malfunctioning there. (laughs) No, I was trying to remember how to pronounce it. 
I think it's dopaminergic. Something. It sounds similar to that. It might be like a little bit off. And somebody's. Th- this is the part you were talking. Hey, what I tell you? There's going to be something Sarah doesn't know that you guys do, and you're definitely. I know. They, they, I know the psychology people and the therapist people, and all you guys are definitely screaming at that. But yes, those pathways um, uh, are maybe being stimulated because we know video games do that to people, and because the right. What's the reward in the video game? What's the payout? It's like, it's designed that way. Like, I want to know what the video game is because if there's a win, mm-hmm. then they somehow have, have, yeah, the, or, the, yeah. I think they described it as like Pong, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Very easy, but it said that they are farsighted though and they lack opposable thumbs, which made it even more impressive. They're farsighted and lack of possible. So did this cater to their... their It was like like, a joystick. (laughs) Well, I mean, how good could they be? (laughs) Not that good. But how good do you need to be to to do a game like that? You know, just like a little easy like... I mean, doesn't that make you sad though? Because they're so delicious. Well, they are. They are. But here's the thing. It's like, it's my my, same thought on... We just have to, and they're so delicious, which means we should probably have it every once in a while. True. I think that anything that has, this is just Sarah's thoughts on, you know, based on like nothing, but whatever Sarah thinks, that (laughs) animals uh, who have fewer offspring or they take longer for the animal to like, longer gestation period, Mm -hmm. we should not be eating those like crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, old-timey farm style. Like, you have an animal and you get, like, one for, like, the whole year. Yeah. And you eat that. And then after that, fruits and vegetables for you. Or you save it for when you need it. Or, like, you know. I know. We don't do that, though. No. We're like, oh, that's delicious. I'm going to have bacon every morning. And, you know, so, yeah. Definitely stimulating those dopaminergic pathways. Right. It just makes me sad. I wish they were disgusting and I'd let them be. Maybe someday. I'm at the like guilt part of meat eating. Yeah, me too. Every day I think about it. Me too. Every day I think all I would be is a relationship with a vegan or vegetarian away from. Yeah. Like I just need creative meals. Okay. Like I just have my my. I should probably use HelloFresh for that and get. I'll just switch over. Well, that's over. true. You could. That's actually a good way. This is like just a Sarah having a thought, but yeah, a good, a good way to uh, to like not an ad. Good way to just like uh, uh, introduce that because then I don't have to cook any of those meals, and I'll just like yeah. Well, because I mean, three nights a week. That, I know that vegetarians like to pretend like the, all their meals are so good, and and I'm really happy for them if they feel that way. And I really don't eat a lot of meat. I don't enjoy it that much. But, you know, sometimes their meals suck. Sometimes, uh, yeah. Vegetarian meals, yeah. Well, no, it's the seasoning. It's the, if you can season things right. It's also the mouthfeel. Oh. (laughs) I will agree with that. It's a (laughs) tofu and mushroom and eggplant don't. That is a eggplant and mushroom. Uh-uh. And don't even try to substitute my burger with a portobello mushroom. You're high. <laughs> Beyond Burger, I'll tell you what. They've done it. Have they? I've never I tried one. I love those. Those are great. I buy them and all I'm the time. And I'm the kind of person who you can give me like fake 
like or knock off, not like the healthy version of other things, and it could have fooled me. <laughs> right. Like I, I, I think because my mom gave us all of that like healthy organicy stuff that. You know, when we were growing up, we didn't have any, like, I can't even, I'm not like one of those, like, nope, this isn't that. I can't have that. I'm like, yeah, sure. That's fine. Tastes close enough to me. And, you know, I'll take that cauliflower pizza. Sure. And I cannot get down with the vegan cheese though. Don't it's even good. do it. What are you talking about? There is some good stuff. The CHAO. There is that cashew butter that I really love. The cashew <laughs> cheese. That is good though. But the other stuff, no. I'll tell You're going to have to show good. me. What? I'll tell you what is good. <laughs> Playing Best Fiends for hours. You're telling me. <laughs> my God, I'll forget to eat meals if I, if I don't look up for my game. Top-rated mobile puzzle adventure that has us hooked. It's like lovable characters. Thousands of levels. All this Thousands. content. Super fun challenges. And you can use it when your phone's not even connected to the internet. which is It is the best game. airplane game, period. Going. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It also, is so when I was out fun. of data on my phone and didn't oh, right. to. You did have a problem recently. I did. Because I didn't have Wi-Fi for a bit. So there, that's a I'm problem. always checking for the latest update, too, because they add levels and yes. characters and stuff. And they're always seasonal, too. And, and you know, like, ooh, it's going to be cute. Yeah, and it's like, you know, we're not on the challenge anymore, so we want to solve puzzles. We'll just go on Best Fiends instead. They're way better anyway. Yeah, right. And less stress. <laughs> yes. Uh, just but opposite. just don't yes. blame us if you become obsessed because you will. Download Best Fiends free today on Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Super fun. Yes. Uh, we have a guest today, Sarah. <gasps> oh, very, very excited. I interviewed David Camp, who is the author of Sunny Days, the Children's Television Revolution that Changed <gasps> America. It is such a great book. Can't recommend it enough. He's a wonderful writer, but what I really love about Sunny Days is, you know, I love Mr. Rogers. I love Sesame Street. Oh, yes. He breaks down the context for how this sort of crazy serendipitous moment happened where, you know, we started producing shows that were engaging for children, helped get them ready for preschool or kindergarten. Mm Mm-hmm. And lasted forever. Like, these are institutions. They really are. It is wonderful. And I loved the when I began the interview and I asked him why he wrote it or why this subject interested him and how, you know, he was feeling down and he wanted sunny days again. Yes. I love that. Sweeping the clouds away. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think a lot of people benefited from these shows and their commitment to diversity, representation, um, inclusion. I just saw the cutest thing. I saw this post from a mom on Instagram or Twitter or something like that, where it was her daughter playing with a girl or a boy who had uh, autism mm-hmm. and the mom was like trying to say like well it's okay like be be slow and she, the, the little girl goes i know i saw him on sesame street oh and i'm like oh <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a character on sesame street i know mom and it was very like matter of fact like mom we're fine they it's just they so absorb it it is so important oh. and it's important for people to see themselves represented on television and films yes. and media yes so yes. the book is great you'll love it and you'll love hearing um, the 
how it all came to be. And you should check it out. Sunny Days by David Camp. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you so much for coming on Brain Candy, David. I loved Sunny Days. What a treasure you've written. Well, Susie, I love you for loving Sunny Days. (laughs) I can't wait for my listeners to read it because I know they're going to love it too. Here's what I want to know. You're kind of like this Renaissance man. I want to know how you decide what the heck you're going to write about even. Honestly, I write uh, things that are going to cheer me up because... You know, we're kind of living in an unhappy period of our country. We're not a happy people, the American people. And I was kind of casting about, this is five, six years ago now, 2015. Even then, and 2015 sounds like paradise compared to where we are now. But even then, we were there was still such uh, polarization and ugly rhetoric. And I thought, I want to go back and study a, a period of American history where People did something good, and it worked, and it made people happy. And that's kind of what led me to that incredibly fertile period of, like, late 60s and early 70s children's television. You had Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Zoom, not the one that we're talking on, but the WGBH program for kids, and uh, the Electric Company and Free to Be You and Me. All of these programs happened at the same time and kind of redefined what childhood could be in a really positive way. When you were writing it and then talking about it after, did you did it cheer you up? It certainly did in that as I went along and things got worse and worse, <laughs> yeah, country, right. um, culminating in me this book coming out just as a pandemic's beginning, basically, it, it kind of did, it, it got, it's inspirational, I'll put it that way, because one thing the pandemic laid bare was how broken things are. You know, our education system's broken, healthcare system's broken, uh, just distribution of, of aid and medicine, all these systems are broken. And so if you look at how Sesame Street happened, which is a real public-private partnership between, you know, kind of well-off people who are in foundations and academia, working with uh, the U.S. government hand-in-hand to accomplish this great goal, Sesame Street, the show that's now been on for 51 years. So, it was, it's, it's kind of a roadmap for, okay, we were once in a pretty good place, then we screwed it up. And, and maybe this book is not just a uh, nostalgic uh, trawl through history, although I don't mind it if you enjoy it that way too. But also it could be a roadmap to like, how do we, how can we uh, repeat this success? Well, I love that you frame the narrative as, or the story as a social movement. It was it was as if all these stars aligned. Was that, do you think, do you think they were aware of that at the time or we can only see that now looking back? I think we can only see it now looking back because I noticed it. I'm, I was the right age for when all of this was new. I was a toddler uh, when Sesame Street came on the air on November 10th, 1969. So it's really me, it's not a first person book, but it's really me looking back you know, 30, 40 years later. And I started thinking about this, like when I was about 30 years old, um, you're saying that was an extraordinary period. I was kind of lucky, you know, that I came along right at the time that Sesame Street came along and Mr. Rogers went from local show to national show to have these programs shape my childhood and my mindset 
that's kind of great. So yeah, it was with perspective. I'm so glad, Susie, you picked up on the idea of it being a social movement. So I think that's what makes the book unique, is that it looks at this stuff not just as, ha, 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 weren't things kitschy and wacky in the 60s and 70s? It's really saying this is actually a social movement that all, all these amazing political undercurrents and cultural yeah. undercurrents, that's kind of what's fun and fascinating about uh, delving into this stuff. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. When you still describe much of what we see now, it still existed then, these sort of like conservative values and progressive values and the, you know, the clashing therein. But what do you think it was that sort of like, it felt like everything came together because they got federal funding. Um, and then you pointed out how there were some shifts in like cognitive psychology and their understanding of, youth and early development. What do you think that was, the magic? Well, I think it was kind of a confluence of um, smart people trying to do the right thing. You know, like, I kind of think we're, we're almost in a moment like, like this is a very uh, politically awakened time, let's put it that way. Um, for all the polarization, especially among young people, we're seeing a newfound political awareness. And I kind of feel like 50-odd years ago, uh, America was in a similar state. There was a newly or the Lyndon Johnson era, you know, so you had a Democrat in control of the House and in control of both chambers of Congress. So you kind of had a, and it was way more progressive than now. It wasn't the slim majority, it was a progressive majority. So there was a political will to try out some sort of like big government, not as a pejorative thing, big government as, as, a, as a safety net and, a, and as, a, as a way to, to lift up the least fortunate among us and thereby lift us all up. Because if, if the least fortunate are lifted up, we all are. And, and as other things that you mentioned, like um, at the same time, child psychology was a newly burgeoning field. Uh, that phrase early childhood development didn't exist until the 60s, basically. So that was suddenly a field that people were interested in. And the stigma attached to psychology, you know, seeing psychologists, that was no longer, uh, it was getting less and less and less taboo to even talk about that. At the same time, I don't want to discount this, it was kind of wacky. It was the 60s. And you know, the fact you had Jim Henson doing these psychedelic Muppets, and you had uh, like even children's TV composers influenced by the Beatles and, and psychedelic bands and that kind of Peter Max graphic aesthetic, this sort of multicolored, thing it, that all these things came together to produce something that was like perfectly engineered for kids born in the late 60s and early 70s like i didn't i think a lot of parents watched this and thought this is too weird yeah. it's too crazy but if you were just having if you were a toddler just lying in a crib or crawling on the floor and your sensory intake was the beatles and rowan and martin's laughing and what have you it made perfect sense you didn't know that it made perfect sense because you were little, but it made perfect sense. And I think that's why it's lasted. It spoke in a kid language that adults couldn't even pick up on. Well, I think he did such a good job of 
you're telling this story sort of, you know, from the past, but I think we're all parents at least thinking about the ways in which media is still controversial and screen time and this hand mm-hmm. hand wringing about all of that, especially during the pandemic. And then you think, well, can those same ideas and values and brilliance be applied in the digital age? Do you think that that's possible? Absolutely. And I think the big difference is that Sesame Street was so rigorously prepared, not just the entertainment part and the curricular part, but even the, they tested it over and over again with like a, basically the idea of, of a screen test for, for, for groups of uh, for focus groups for, for four-year-olds where they really reviewed the material before it ever hit the air. And so that's kind of why Sesame Street was so right and correct and nailing it from the outset because they spent three years from inception to November 10th, 1969. And the difference, the difference between zoom school and that is that when this pandemic went down exactly a year ago, lockdown happened. Suddenly I felt so bad for teachers. Teachers had to improvise this muddled approach to, Oh God, how do we teach through screens now? And parents and kids too, everyone kind of had to muddle through unprepared. And I think, I think what we've learned is that, number one, we're revisiting the exact same debate they had 50 years ago. Can screens be used to teach? And, and number two, we have to look at how they got it right. And they got it right by being prepared. We were not prepared last year. And I think that's part of what needs to happen again. There needs to be a redoubled effort about no matter what happens when we're getting vaccinated in the next few weeks, this pandemic is going to occupy some brain space in all of our minds for at least a generation. If you're a kid growing up right now, you're always going to be on guard for we could be in lockdown at any moment. You know, like we've got it. It might happen again. And I, and I think it's smart to think that it'll happen again. And so we've got to be prepared with something better than this sort of half-hearted, disorganized Zoom school where these poor parents are stuck at home with their kids and they're trying to get them to concentrate. And the brilliance of Sesame Street was they so rigorously engineered it both from an entertainment perspective, it was entertaining so parents enjoyed watching it with their kids, and from an educational perspective where it maintains the kids' interest. And we need to find a way to redo that. When you talked about how, pre, you know, before that time, children's television had been very slapstick, um, patronizing to the kids, kind of mean, um, <laughs> and not exactly educational. And then and there was this idea of, like, is it a wasteland? Can we even mm-hmm. do anything of importance? And then you talked about those focus groups and then how the kids engaged the material and it was interactive. I mean, they just didn't expect it, right? That wasn't. They thought that it was going to be zombies, Right. Even the people at Children's Television Workshop, which is the it's what's now called Sesame Workshop, the entity that produced Sesame Street. They were worried that even their own show was just going to have zombified kids with their mouths falling open and their eyes glazed watching this. And they were amazed at how much kids talked back to the screen Mm -hmm. and and sang along with the songs. And it was just such a nice, uh, again, confluence of factors where, where you had kids taking this all in and being and imitating what they saw on screen and also feeling, and again, little kids wouldn't have this vocabulary, but their emotional intelligence was being respected. That's yeah. one thing that Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, is really good about, is that earlier shows, baby boomer shows like Howdy Doody, it was all kind of like clowns and guys in 
you know, fringe buckskin cowboy jackets going like, hey, kids, we're coming at you. Woo, ah, and so we're going to show you boys. Wah. And, and, and um, that was kind of assaultive to a little kid, whereas Fred Rogers talking in yeah. this really gentle way. People think he was just some weirdo who happened, to be, who happened to be extraordinarily kind and was just winging it. But no, he was actually really rigorous himself in preparing that show. He worked with a pediatric psychiatrist named Dr. Margaret McFarland. So they fashioned all these little parts of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood to engage the kid. For example, when he walks in singing It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and he walks screen left to screen right, that's to train a kid's eye to read, to, to learn to read. Can you believe that, David? Yeah, no, it, it, I love learning this stuff. So, so, so when you cool. Because in the English language, in the English language anyway, you, you read by scanning your eyes left to right. right. And then even when the trolley goes from his living room to the neighborhood of make-believe, that's a transition. And if anyone who's ever had nursery school age kids knows that transitions are hard for young kids. Yeah. Like, okay, kids, now we're going to go from the classroom to the activity room. And there's always the two kids go, I don't want to, I don't want to, because they can't manage that transition. So that trolley was um, an emblem of how you manage a transition. And kids were just absorbing this in a way that, that you and I as adults would not have absorbed it. They intuitively understood what was going on. Yes, I'm I'm from Pittsburgh, so I'm a Fred Rogers enthusiast, and mm-hmm. we all worship him here, especially. Um, and I worked at WQED, which was his station, oh, wow. and it was such a magical place. It's almost like imbued with his essence, and you've it's a sacred space, at least for me. And it's because of that intentional approach that he had, and how. You pointed out he cared about their interior life. They weren't just noisemakers. These were human beings with rich lives inside. And he honored that. And and the same thing with Kermit singing It's Not Easy Being Green, which, uh, you know, is a really slow contemplative song that I think was in the very first season of Sesame Street. And theoretically, a kid should not want to watch that because the lighting of the original version is kind of dark. It's a solo piece. The song is kind of meandering and quiet, but it, it just spoke to the, the you know this emotional tumult that kids sometimes go through. Because kids aren't smiley little kids. Kids can be depressive little characters, you know, thinking, why am I here? Am I a loser? Am I a winner? Do I fit in? Don't I fit in? And so that song really spoke to kids, again, in this way that perhaps flew over the heads of adults. Yeah. And so, again, respecting the emotional intelligence. And Jim Henson had an intuitive grasp of that, too, I think. Yeah, he's a magical person. That's the thing. Like, I am so impressed with how they they did all this and how intentional they were with each part. And then that it worked. Yeah. That it really did work. And that people were engaged and are still, like, they still care about it. Do you notice when people talk about it that they become, like, children kind of again? Well, even the, even the stupid debate about, like, is Dr. Seuss being canceled? And of course, Dr. Seuss is not being canceled. But the fact that people still, of all political stripes, hold that body of work so sacredly. Mm-hmm. And, these, and I think Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers are in that same category. They're, they're sort of totems of American childhood that you don't mess with. And you don't mess with it because they were so profoundly meaningful to all of us as kids. And they still are. Um, you know, I don't know about the youngest kids, but... To, to multiple generations, Seuss, Mr. Rogers, Sesame Street, and even shows like Free to Be You and Me, which Marlo Thomas did, 
they are held sacred by people and you don't question their legacy because it's hurtful because they shaped the worldview yeah. of a hundred million of the 300 million Americans out there. You know? It was formative. It really was. And I can only yeah. imagine what it was like for people of color and how even more so to be represented maybe for the first time. Um, and you did such a great job of describing the ways in which, um, at least on Sesame Street, they really listened to feedback and weren't defensive. Can you describe some of that? Sure. Joan Gans Cooney was one of the co-founders of Sesame Street, and she was kind of basically the, the producer of the whole show. And she wanted the show intentionally from the beginning to reach inner city black kids. So that was her main audience when the show first launched. Of course, it became a show for all kids. But at the time, so they, from season one, they had black cast members and white cast members. But Hispanic viewers were watching at home saying, hey, where are we? And um, a kind of coalition of Hispanic groups, some from California, some from Texas, some from Florida, some from New York, met with her in her office. And it was not a happy meeting. It was a really contentious one. Where they were like, what the hell are you doing, Joan? You're like, where are we? Whatever. It was, it was argumentative. But she didn't push them away and say, no, look, I'm the producer of this damn show. Get the hell out of my office. She kind of heard them out and said, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. And that's why they cast Emilio Delgado as Luis and Sonia Manzano as Maria in season three in 1971. And those two actors and characters were on the show for more than 40 years. And that's, that's amazing. And also, that's, for a lot of Americans, myself included, my first and many other kids' first exposure to Spanish-speaking people to, uh, in Emilio's case, Chicano culture, and in Sonia's case, Puerto Rican culture. So that was such a huge learning experience. And I just want to add, Susie, about black kids, too, because you mentioned this a little earlier. There were so few black characters regularly on TV prior to Sesame Street that Jet Magazine, the Black Weekly, used to have a page in the back page of each issue saying, black people on TV this week, meaning like, I couldn't believe that. Down. It, it was like Hogan's Heroes is on at 8 p.m. And then like Star, Star Trek is on at 9 with Michelle Nichols as Lieutenant Uhura. Sammy Davis Jr. will be on the Merv Griffin show. So it was like they knew that there'd be like six black people on TV all week and, and not as regular. That's so, awful. And so, so for Sesame Street to start as a five-day-a-week show with Loretta Long and Matt Robinson as two of the main characters on five days a week, that was a watershed. I had Questlove from the Roots write the forward to this book. Yeah. And he was born in 71. And he talked about being a little kid watching in Philadelphia, turning Sesame Street on and saying, that's the first time I ever saw myself on television. And it was aspirational and motivational because if, if I can see someone like myself on television, that means I can be on television someday. And forget about even being in the entertainment field. It just legitimizes that yeah, you someone matter. who looks like me. Yeah, it matters. Yeah, yeah exactly. it was powerful and important, but it was so cool because it didn't, it wasn't a big whoop. Like, it's not as if, at least I as a viewer, I wasn't sitting there thinking, how come all of these people are dark skinned? It just didn't occur to you. You were having too much fun. It was just exactly. too entertaining. I mean, that's cool, yeah. dude. Did you feel emotional when you wrote it? Because I, I teared up several times <laughs> during the book because it's so special did you ever feel like 
Or is it just me? You know, it's funny. In, in the course of writing it, Susie, sometimes I got too emotional and had to step back. Yeah. And sometimes, and I think, and I think this happens with any writer, sometimes you get bored with your material. Like, you realize, like, I'm not feeling it today. And then I actually went to the emotional space to motivate myself. I was like, okay, David, why are you writing this book? Oh, yeah, because it changed your life and every other kid's life. Yeah. And then you start, think, you start thinking about songs. You start thinking about Rita Moreno and Morgan Freeman on The Electric Company. Yeah. You start thinking about... Uh, you know, the free to be you and me song with that little calliope playing at the beginning. And, you know, uh-oh, here come the water. Yeah, Wait, man. Susie, I'm, I start to cry a little. And, and that actually motivated me to finish that damn chapter. Yeah. Because this stuff mattered so much. It did. And it still does. And, but, you know, you know, things change and evolve. And you go over the HBO deal and the consequences of that and how something that was meant for lower-income folks was now becoming a luxury item. And then you also, let me say what words you said. You said, the hipness, depth, and variety are no longer there. Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, I want to preface this by saying I don't want to badmouth current Sesame Street because they're still doing God's work. I yeah, mean, they they're do. Still, they're, they're, they're still, you know, producing bona fide educational TV, yeah. and they're still addressing marginalized kids or, or marginalized parts of the population. They have characters. Yep. They have an autistic Muppet to teach, teach kids about people who are not neurotypical. Um, and, you know, South African Sesame Street had an HIV-positive character just to teach kids about that in case they identified with someone at home. They're still doing this really audacious stuff. But is the show as cool or as fun as it was in the 70s? No, it isn't. <laughs> that was a more, there's a looser, more freewheeling time, I think, less cautious. The, yeah. other thing, the other thing, Susie, is that kids are basically born TV literate now. So I didn't start watching Sesame Street until I was, you know, four or five, really. And that, that was the, the bullseye demographic group they were going for. Now, Sesame Street is skewed more towards two- and three-year-olds. And so by its nature, it's kind of less sophisticated than it used to be because their, their audience is basically a younger uh, audience in an early stage of development. That's a good point. I, did, I yeah. do like the um, – you know how in the early days there was that sense of, like, you said it's not antiseptic. Like, it, it, it was – there were dents in the garbage can and there was, like, clothes hanging on the line. Now it does feel cleaner – and more colorful in that sort of typical childhood television type of way. Um, but maybe I'm just like, I miss my youth. I'm just getting old. No, 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 no. You, you're, you're, there's a picture of youth for starters. <laughs> I <laughs> wish. Um, but beyond that, no, if you actually do a compare and contrast, if you were to do a split screen, uh, yeah. like 2021 Sesame Street is super brightly colored and the yeah. street is is gentrified and if you go back on youtube and watch those early shows from like 69 through really 79 the whole first decade um it's not just the quality of the film the color palette is, is yeah, more is more gritty yeah. and and you have graffiti you have uh, laundry on, on washing lines and you have you have dented garbage cans i always love there's a story early in the book that Loretta Long, who played Susan, tells me where she said, you forget that there was a time when people had no idea what Sesame Street was. Yeah. And when she, when she got the job, she calls her parents, who are living on a farm in Michigan, and she tells them, I got a TV show. They're like, great, darling, tell us what your TV show is like. And she said, you know, I'm sitting on this dirty city stoop, and I'm talking to an eight-foot-tall yellow bird. <laughs> 
And they, this is 1969, mind you, they thought she was having some sort of drug-induced right. <laughs> experience. They were, they were, they were like ready to rescue her from whatever she was going to. She said, she said, thank God I didn't tell them about Oscar. <laughs> and, and then this thing comes out of a garbage can and yells at you. She said that, that would have sealed it. They would have said our dog, our, our daughter is having a, a yeah. This we need an intervention of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the point being is that was really audacious. I mean, to even do a children's program set on a city block where everyone hangs out on a stoop. That was so not done in TV. And so it's still audacious now, but it's much more cleaned up. Yeah, I, I just loved the, reading your book. You felt that sense of like what you take for granted, that this show just is and always was. It's an institution mm-hmm. that didn't exist, and they created it from nothing. And that's magic. And I wanted to know, because you, I mean, how the heck long did it take you to do this? Because... The stories are detailed that you tell. It's as if it's happening now. You're describing conversations and meetings and brainstorms. And I'm like, how did he get all this information? Tell me your secret. Well, (laughs) um, the first secret is interview everyone old as soon as you can because they'll die on you. And there were, I don't mean to be, uh, you know, but but, but people, it did happen to me where people I wanted to interview passed away right, yeah. right when I tried to reach out to them. And I was really lucky to, first of all, catch everyone who's still around, while I, like Joan Gans Cooney and Lloyd Morissette, who co-founded Sesame Street, Rita Moreno, who God help us, God, God love her, is still really yeah. strong. Um, and and, and uh, you know, there, there, there are a bunch of people I was able to catch who were formative in developmenting those programs. The other thing is... Um, the University of Maryland has this amazing collection of all the children's television workshop papers. And sort of you can see in wow. real time, um, like all the notes of like the minutes of meetings no where they're discussing, way. where they're discussing Count Von Count for the first time. What if we had this vampire Muppet who, who said, oh, I love to count one, two, three. Like they're, they're discussing all that stuff in real time for the first time. So it's pretty easy to recreate that once you. I cannot believe you got to library. see that. Didn't you feel so lucky? Oh, I did. And I also got to go to Jim Henson's workshop in uh, Long Island City, Queens, where they make the Sesame Street Muppets. It's, it's still awesome because there's still drawers. Where, like, there's a drawer labeled like Grouch Eyes, and they slid it out to me. It has like different uh, like monobrows for Oscar, depending on the facial <laughs> expression he's making with the eyes attached. No. Um, yeah, it, 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 it was like going to like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. I mean, you're living a dream real. there. Yeah, well, I, that's what was, made me sad, was. though, about the, that your book came out during the pandemic, because when I reached out to you, that's when I first heard about it. And I'm pretty tuned into the book world. And I was so mm-hmm. mad because people need to read it. And you really kind of got ripped off. Did you feel that way? <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, in, on the one hand, because it started or my, I came out kind of early in the, the pandemic, it made people search for good news, and, oh. and a book called Sunny, a book called Sunny That's Days, true. which which is about de- you know depicting what I truly consider a sunny era yeah. in American history, at least for these particular people and my generation of children. That at least I think that powered some people through. Okay. It was kind of a happy read during a, a a grim moment. But as far as like getting out on the hustings and promoting it and, and, and doing book tours and giving fun talks and all that stuff. And I was supposed to do it with the surviving actors from Sesame Street and some of these other shows. 
couldn't do that. So in that way, yeah, I sort of got ripped off. Yeah. But look, Susie, we're here. I know. We're here. Isn't that <laughs> You're like my therapist. No, it's okay. Yeah. Because yeah. because I would be so sad if I put all the time into writing this masterpiece and then didn't get the fun bit of like seeing people get excited in person and all the events and stuff. But I just hope everybody reads it because it's wonderful and it does make you feel good and it does bring hope. Like I want this to be applied. I want another period of sunny days, David. Right. And that's, that's my intent too. If that title is not just backward looking, like here's a story of the sunny days of 1968 to 1975. It's also just like sunny days are here again. If you want them, like hint, hint, yeah. Especially you younger readers, it's like like um, you're you're of the generation, the people who are like Generation Z and millennials. You're the generation who can imitate what's described here um, and, and bring about a new period of sunny days. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Do you feel, what do you feel is the future for children's television based on what you learned? Based on what I learned, I, I think that we're kind of in a, a middling, mediocre period. But I think this pandemic, perversely, one of the good things that's going to come out of it is a redoubled effort to reach people, reach kids through screens yeah. in a more rigorous and more entertaining way. And we can't lose sight of the fact of how entertaining all these shows were. And that's part of the fun of the book. You Do know, you have a like, favorite it, song from Sesame Street? Oh, gosh. Um Oh, you put me on the spot. Well, I'll tell you, mine is uh, put okay, yeah, put no, down I'll the ducky. I love put down the ducky, or yeah, anytime it's like good. punny, like cereal girl instead of material girl. That was a classic. Right. Those ones. I kind of like the melancholy ones, like it's not oh, like green. And nice. um, and and uh, Ernie has one. Um, I don't want to live on the moon, where he fantasizes about how cool one. it would be to live on the moon. It's kind of a sweet solo ballad. I like those because I, I think that reached me as a boy. Yeah. You know, a sort of a sort of moody, contemplative little oh, boy. Like, oh, that's yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's great. I mean, they're all great. Do, do, yeah. Was it just like a bunch of people? I know there were different writers of the songs, but did it change a lot over time? There, it did change a lot over time, but the main guy at the beginning was a guy named Joe Raposo. Who uh, he composed the theme song and all the incidental music, and he is uh, Joan Ganz Cooney said the word genius is overused, but Jim Henson and Joe Raposo were both geniuses, and that was one of the huge strokes of luck. Is Sesame Street enlisted two not hyperbolically used true true two true geniuses. Yeah, and that and Joe Raposo definitely one of them. I mean, because that really kept kept you on, you know, engaged and into it and learning. Um, okay, wait, one more thing, and then I ask sure. the final question. So was there anything that you discovered that surprised you about the history of children's television? Or did it feel like, okay, that makes sense, that makes sense? I never realized how tenuous it was. Like, Sesame Street was considered an experiment. And um, 
they never were in it for the long haul. They thought that Sesame Street might just be a thing, like a lab experiment that would last one season. And it was that way for like the first 10 years. There wasn't oh a sense God. that, Can you believe every, that? They, that it was like, well, we have the funding to do another season. We have the funding to another, another season. And then the, the fact that it's this, uh, you know, unassailable institution now, that was not a gimme. That was something that developed over yeah. time. Okay, last thing we ask everybody that comes on. Mm-hmm. If you have a car, what do you keep in the trunk of your car? Do you have anything but in the th- trunk of your car? This is a brain candy question. This is this is not this is this is not a, a related to the book question. Correct. correct? We okay. have, we have a theory that whatever is in the trunk of your car is sort of representative of where you are in your life. Oh well. Um, so it better be interesting. What? No, no, I'd say it's going to be so damn boring then. <laughs> Mine is too. I'm think, like, it's I, empty. I, I think we have, no, this is it. It's I, I have recycling, the, you know, the reusable shopping yes. bags and, 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 a, and a, you know, a snow brush and um, the scraper because I'm in the Northeast where we still have snow on the ground. So I know that's a really like a virtue signaling answer, but that's, that's <laughs> the damn right. truth. That's- yeah. Yeah, that's what I have in mind is reusable bags right now. But the pandemic has changed things because we're not, and at least I'm not in my car very much. So I think emptiness is probably representative still. Um, <laughs> but I'll mark yours down. That's your answer. All right, fair enough. Yeah. I hope everybody reads Sunny Days, the children's television revolution that changed America. Thank you, David Camp. You're a delight. As are you, Susie. Thank you. Did you know that everyone has an aura? Do you know what color your aura is? Maybe you have a fiery red personality or a quiet and calm blue or green. You could be an organized and methodical yellow or an explosive purple. Come join me, Mystic Michaela, on my podcast, Know Your Aura, to find out all about how your personality can be explained in colors. (laughs) 